0: We are in the midst of a series, we're the third week in, called Vitals and Essentials. And we've been talking about the vitals and essentials of Christian faith and how we live those out as Hydrant Church. And we started this whole series talking about worship and and how we worship together and how that flows out and that every part of life becomes worship. We talked about making disciples and growing as disciples, and you can hear both of those messages on our podcast But we want to kind of shift today and and begin to look outward. And it, it was about 25 years ago, this really famous pastor, which is just an odd thing to me that a pastor could be famous, but this really famous pastor wrote a book about the purposes of the church. He says, like, every church should be doing these five things. Every church should be worshiping, and every church should be doing discipleship and fellowship, which you know how much I love that word, and, like... Every church should be doing missions. And they say every church should be doing evangelism. And I'm good with all of it until that last one. It just makes me cringe. Like, can I just be honest? Like it makes me cringe because of how what evangelism meant. And, and what it's looked like for so long and how I engaged with it. And and it it just like it just really made me uncomfortable. For me, it began as kind of these pamphlets maybe you've heard of or seen there's little pamphlets and I've found them in Walmart bathroom stalls or sinks I've found them when I was a server wonderful Christian people would leave me one of these pamphlets instead of a tip like like here and 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 then like even my kids my kids went trick-or-treating this a couple weeks ago and instead of a treat instead of a candy this this woman handed them one of these little pamphlets. If you've been around church, if you grew up in church, you know them as tracts. It's like this little eight-inch comic strip that's suddenly make, supposed to make me think about my eternal destiny. Like there's somehow this eight-inch little comic strip that's painted in black and red and got flames all over it or these little cartoon characters somehow supposed to make me contemplate the very depths of my soul the purpose and meaning of life and suddenly now I'm going to give everything to Jesus as if eight inches of comic strip could somehow encompass and dig to the deepest parts of who we are and that somehow we were accomplishing the mission by handing out one of these pamphlets. And it just, like, made me uncomfortable. And I'm, and, and, and I'm sorry if I've offended you and you've given them out. I'm only slightly sorry, but I am sorry. <laughs> just don't, like, stick a Hydra sticker on it and give them it out. But then, like, in, in high school, we were taken on this, like, mission thing, right? And, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years old, and we were taken to, like, a Kmart Walmart or- parking lot and we were assigned the task of approaching strangers with a question you've probably heard the question before if you were to die tonight do you know that you know that you know you'd wake up in heaven and I'm like I've been following Jesus for 35 years now and I'm not sure that I know anything on the other side of death right like Jesus is the only one who died and came back and he didn't talk a whole lot about it right He's like, I'm going to make a place for you. And then we start talking about mansions, as if we somehow understand that, except when you start to think about the actual image of mansions in the Bible. The word referred to the tiny little holes in a cork. It's more like a prison cell than a big house. It just meant there was a place, a designated place for you. And that's about all it tells us. But do you know that you know that you don't? I don't know. I do all kinds of stupid things every day, and sometimes I believe it all, and sometimes I don't, and it's a struggle, and I'm not going to be able to jump. Like they, wanted, they wanted somehow me as this pimply-faced teenager to be able to convince this stranger to jump levels of intimacy from, I don't know you, to let's talk about your soul, right? You can laugh. That's weird. Like, Christians, we've done weird things, and that was one of them. I was a part of a church that, like, built itself on this kind of thing. Like, they did, they'd send you out in pairs, you know, because that's what Jesus did. So we'd go, they'd send you out in pairs into neighborhoods, and you get dropped off, and they'd knock on the door like some kind of vacuum salesman. They're going to sell you Jesus, right? And, like, foot in the door, force my way in. Kind of thing. And we're going to sit down on your couch and we're going to have that question. Again, if you die, where are you going to go? In the ground is where I'm going to go. And then we'll figure out the rest that he will. But they would want to, like, we're going to just take and go from stranger into this death. And, like, somehow I can argue someone into Christianity. That was evangelism, right? Like, I need to convince you of how bad you are, how much sin is in your life, and that you're going to go to hell if you don't do something about it. And then once I convince you of that, now I'm supposed to, like, flip the coin and be all about the love of Jesus saving you? Let me tell you how horrible a person you are. Now don't you want Jesus? And it, and it stopped working somewhere around like 1950, if it ever worked. And it just made me sick. Like, I couldn't do it. Like, I felt like I was supposed to, and I felt guilty for not doing it. Right? But then, but I, I just couldn't bring myself to like say these things and, and to talk to someone. I mean, like you're lost. You're 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 a sinner. You're look at how terrible you are. Like, let me convince you that you're not good enough. Like we talk about, like, it's like trying to jump to the moon. No matter how high you jump, you're never gonna make it to the moon. You're never good enough. There's a chasm between you and Jesus. Instead of being draw this little drawing, it's so cute. There's like a cross, and you can make it a cross. We don't talk about the death that happened. And it just Tore me up. Like, hell is where you're going. It just, it didn't make sense to me. Strange thing, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to the, to the brother of Jesus, James. If you, if you have your Bible, you can turn there James chapter 3. In fact, he said, he said, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that followers of Jesus can stand and praise him and celebrate him and talk about how good he is and then go out and tell people how bad they are. It just shouldn't be that way. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, reads this way. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. Human beings who, by the way, have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's like he's saying, look, this won't work. It's not how it's supposed to be. It says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Oh listen, I don't think that this famous pastor was necessarily wrong. I mean evangelism is one of those words that's not actually in the Bible. We use it to describe things that are in the Bible. But there is this language that even Jesus gives us of being witnesses, telling the story of what we have seen, witnessing to, Jesus, to, to who Jesus is. He says in Acts 1.8, you'll go into all the world and you'll be my witnesses. So there is something vital and essential to following Jesus that is involved in sharing our story, of pointing people to him in a way that actually helps. But I, I want to change the word a little bit for us because I feel like not only evangelism, but witnessing carries like some baggage right like if you grew up in the church been around church or you're just in the south so you've had you've been on the wrong side of being witnessed to and it, and it felt really great didn't it <laughs> it's okay to laugh at church it's okay to like yeah it felt terrible you know say something it's okay it helps when you talk back so um we just want to kind of unhinge the baggage from the idea. So we're going to use the word nudge. nudging. Nudging is is about a little bump in the direction of God. Not shove and knock you down. Not push you, not confront you and get in your face, more like a little nudge in the right direction. A little nudge. It's best accomplished with questions, presence, silence, care, encouragement. But it's, it's about how do we come together and help each other see what God is already doing. How do, we, how do we nudge one another more toward the kingdom of God, how do we nudge Goldsboro, so it looks more and more like the kingdom of God, how do we nudge each other in our home, so it looks more and more like the family of God, how do we nudge each other into worship, how do we nudge each other into faith, how do we nudge each other into this awareness of God's love, and living it out, how do we nudge each other to deeper and deeper walks with Him, not push, not shove, not kick, not scream, not confront, nudge. Nudges are gentle. Nudges don't knock anybody down. Right? They're not tripping anybody. I'm not talking about tripping. Like none of this stuff, just, just a little nudge in the right direction. You see, as nudgers, nudging is at the core, it's like it's like this undergirding principle to everything that hydrant is. Right? From our dancing parking lot attendant at Mickey Mouse hands to the to the coffee and the cafe, to the way we do kids' ministry and life groups and the way we do worship and, and even the way we preach, the way we dress, all of these pieces are all about nudging people toward Jesus. Not like confronting and shoving and beating people down with something. Look, we truth doesn't need you to defend it. Truth stands on its own two feet. Truth has a name, Jesus. And he's described as a lion, and a lion never needed a bodyguard. So you don't have to defend, you don't have to convince. You just say, hey, I think Jesus is over there. I think that was God. And we just keep pointing, keep nudging. So nudgers believe a few things. First, we believe this. Jesus is alive, and he is active In every person's life, whether they can see it or not. You know what I mean? So getting into a little bit of philosophy, there's this idea of ontology, the being of everything. And according to John chapter 1 and the book of Colossians, there is this conviction that everything that exists, exists because of Jesus. Exists from Jesus, through Jesus, in Jesus. So that if you pull Jesus out of it, it doesn't exist anymore. So that means that everything that exists has breath, is alive. Every person you meet, God is connected to them. Jesus is working in them. He is already doing something. You don't have to bring Jesus into the conversation. He's already there. He beat you there. He's been chasing every person down from the moment they beam into being. And he'll chase them to their very last. He is at work. The second thing, that there's this belief that nudgers hold is that as Jesus people, we just know him well enough to recognize him when we see him. We We recognize when he's working just because we know him. It's kind of like when you hear your kid's voice down the hallway screaming, and you know it's yours, so you go the other way, <laughs> right? Like, you know it's yours because you recognize that voice. Or, or that dad who shaves his beard, I don't know why, but he might, and his kids still recognize him. Like we recognize those we love, those we know. And there's something beyond just appearance that connects us to them. And those who are Jesus people, those who are in relationship with him, those who are following him, we just know him well enough to recognize him. Know him well enough to notice what he's doing because we've just learned over time what he likes to do and how he tends to show up and what he tends to be about and what he's not about. No matter what people slap the name Jesus on. It takes some discernment, it takes some time to realize, like, no, that's Jesus. That's where he is. That's what he's doing. And so then we have this responsibility, this calling. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. So we just kind of realize that as Jesus people, we nudge other people to see Jesus too. And we nudge the world in the direction of the kingdom with every little thing we do. With every act of love, with every act of service, every time we feed the hungry or, or, or buy a drink for the thirsty, every time we, we help someone in need, every time we help a neighbor, every time we, we do any of these things, every time we go to work and do our job with excellence, every time we care about the people around us, every time we forgive, every time we embrace, every time we serve, we're nudging the world in the direction of the kingdom. And that's what we are called to do as witnesses. Go and make disciples. We talked about it. It's not about like going somewhere else and doing it. It's just wherever you go. We're just nudging. See, nudgers nudgers tend to say different things than evangelists. We're just using that as a contrast. Nudging is just another word for evangelism, really. But like we described it before, you know... I was taught to say things like you're lost you're in sin you're messed up and and you're going to hell and you need to do this you need to get right with God this kind of stuff like that's just the the way evangelism looked and the problem is it starts with people instead of Jesus and so nudgers as those who are nudgers here, here at Hydrant, we take a different approach it starts with God God made you, and he has a purpose and good things for you. We believe Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where it says that he made us and that we come to him through grace and faith, not by works, but that having come to him, he has prepared good works for us to do. God has, has made each one of us. He's made every person you come into contact with, and he has good for them. And then we say things like, you belong to God. Like once it shifts, it's, it's you belong to God. Isaiah 43, 1. Every person created by nature of being the creation belongs to God. It's You belong to me. Like that's the line. We belong to God. And we're, it's about coming back home and helping people come back home and realize that they've always belonged to God. That the only thing that makes us lost is that we are valuable to the one that we belong to and we've tried to wander off from him. It's not about somehow not knowing enough or being confused. It's just that, it's that to be lost is to, to be loved. Right? You don't care about things you lose that you don't like. It doesn't matter. And then you say things like, Jesus offers a better way. John chapter 14, verses 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's usually kind of works, right? Like, we are, the way we are doing life isn't working all that great. And most people realize that at some point, and they start to look for something else. Like, we're, we're on this way, and, and relationships are hard, and finances are hard, and parenting is hard, and, and everything's not working out. We've been fired three times, and like, our way's not working. So we start to look for a better way. And Jesus says, well, I've got a way. Like, follow me. Did you ever notice he didn't ask those 12 disciples what they believed about anything? He didn't ask them to say they were sorry for their sins before they came and followed him. He didn't ask them to do anything. He just said, come on. And they did. And that was it. Like, they got on the way. And as they started on this way of Jesus... They discovered more and more truth, and that truth began to set them free and give them the life they were created to live. And I think that Jesus is, is genius because he puts those words in his order of how it usually works for us. We get on the way of Jesus, and then we discover how true it is. Like, he holds up this mirror, and we start to deal in reality. The facades we've been building up fall apart, and we start to realize, like, okay, life is not about what I can achieve. Life is not about the name I build for myself. Life is not about uh, the accumulation of things. It's not about reputation. It's not about looking a certain way. It's not about what's been done to me or what I've done. It's about him and the kingdom of God. And, And if I could just begin to see that I'm set free from all of this, and I begin to see myself as I am, and it's there in that authenticity, that reality, that truth that we discover what life really is. The life we've always dreamed of, the life we were made to live. So it's like getting on the way and then getting on the truth and getting into life. And then we say things like, heaven's really all around you. I know the life been living has felt a lot like death and darkness and difficulty. But heaven is just this close. All you got to do is take a step toward it. You think, well, I don't know about that one. Well, Matthew 10, Jesus sent out the disciples. And I wrote seven. I can't remember if it's seven or 27. I'm sorry. He says, go and preach this. The kingdom of God is near. The gospel in four words. The kingdom of God is near. God is breaking into the world and wherever Jesus is that's where heaven is and as we get caught up and we've gotten caught up in this evangelism about life after death and we've missed that all of scripture is more about this this opposition between life and death and living alive or living dead that extends beyond death and it Really, what we need to realize that what Jesus is inviting us to is to live this life. This life is gift. This life was designed to be beautiful and meaningful and purposeful. Not a waste. Not a like, holding pattern until we finally die and go to heaven. It was not about that. In fact, Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about heaven or hell when he did. You know what he did? He tried to like, get the religious people's attention. Not the people who didn't know him. He was trying to give them life and life abundant that begins now and extends into eternity. But it's not about like say your prayer, do your thing, check off the boxes and go to heaven one day. What about hold on till you get there? We have that hope, but it's about living now. Living this life as a gift from God. Living now in the kingdom of God so that wherever we go, God is breaking in. God is at work. And we can see it and share it because it's near. Jesus kind of models this nudging for us. And and it's in uh, Luke, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And I'm not going to read all of it. I just want to kind of tell you the story there. So Jesus had lived his 33 years. He goes to Jerusalem and is tried falsely. He's accused, and he's put to death on a cross, and, he, and he's buried, and on the third day, he comes back, but his disciples didn't really know that he was alive again, and there are two of them on their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're on the Emmaus road, and they're walking away from Jerusalem, heartbroken, defeated, talking about everything that had happened, about how they had thought Jesus would be the Messiah. How he would save them from Rome. And they're just kind of probably walking head down, talking slowly. And this stranger comes up. Like, what are you guys talking about? And as the stranger asks this question, they're like, haven't you heard? Like about this Jesus guy and everything that happened over like, even just this last week, have you not heard? He so said, we thought he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was going to save his people. He killed by Romans. It says the stranger began to point them to things they knew. Like, they knew the old scriptures. And so he started to point, like, well, doesn't, doesn't your scripture say the Messiah will have to die? And he starts to unpack, like, everything they'd seen and experienced. Just kind of kept pointing at these things. Like, well, didn't, didn't this look like God?" Didn't this look like God? Didn't this look like what should have happened? And they, he walks with them all day, and they have no idea who he is, right? I don't, know, I don't know how you walk with somebody all day and never ask their name, but that's what they did. Maybe they thought he said it at the beginning, and they were too nervous to ask again to feel like they didn't hear it. Like, you ever done that? Yep. My favorite is, like, I don't think we've met. Can you help me remember your name? Oh, no, I meant your last name. Now you got them both. <laughs> but anyway, that not matter. So they don't have his name, they're walking with him all day, they're talking, they come to the end of the road, to the house where they're going to be staying, and they do what every good Jewish person would do, they invite the stranger in to stay the night. You never send somebody out overnight on their own, you invite them in. And with some cajoling, they bring him in, and they sit down for a meal, and the stranger blesses the meal, breaks the bread, and hands it to them, and their eyes open. And they realize Jesus has been with them all day long. He's been showing them things, and they say to one another, weren't our hearts strangely warmed as he talked to us? Can you imagine a better thing to be said about you? Like you come to the end of the days, and people stand up at your funeral, and they say, man, every time I talked to him, every time I talked to her, it was like my my heart was just warmed. I was encouraged. My hope was built up. I believed more with every conversation. I can't imagine. That is my hope. right? Like that is what I want to be known for. Not like he had all the right answers. Because a lot of times we have all the right answers to the questions nobody's asking. And he just kind of nudged them. To the point that when they looked back, they saw he was always there. And that's the way it works. We nudge we nudge those we love. We nudge those we meet. We nudge one another. People nudge us, and then there's this moment we we our eyes open we're like ah, oh. like God's been with me every time. I thought he pers- I, like, I thought he left me. I thought he obeyed- I thought I made him mad and he quit caring. Like I, I was never who I should have been. Like there's that should have again, and I, I never where I should have been, and, and I just thought he gave up on me, and now I see like he's been doing all this stuff. And we've got you got a lot of the stories in this room right now of like somebody who nudged, and like a year later, they walk the people they nudge walked to Christ. Like, oh, I see. And it's this moment of like God does this, right? He uses us to nudge. There's a philosopher named Sartre, S A R T E. And he said, whenever he thought of Christ in his old age, it was kind of like thinking about a relationship with an old flame that didn't work. And he would reflect back on it, and it was like, man, what could have been? Whenever, he's like, I once knew Jesus, but whenever I think about him now, I think about what might have been had, there, had this been different or that been different or that had happened. How life might have been different. and and Liz is going to talk more about this, This why we do kids' ministries, why we do youth ministries, why we do ministry at all, is to be that nudge in just the right moment so that none of us look back in 50 years and say, oh, I knew him back then, but there just wasn't, somehow that connection got lost. If only someone had been there in Sartre's life in that critical moment just to nudge him to see Jesus, to see Jesus' love, to see what Jesus was doing. You see, nudgers know a few things, Right? We know that, that every time we brush up against someone, that person is a child of God. Created by God, loved by God, chosen by God, and deserve to be treated like a child of God. In our words, in our actions, in our thoughts. Yes, even the waiter who messes up your order. Don't leave him a tract, still tip him. He's having a bad day. It may not have been his fault. It's probably the cook's fault. They're the ones who messed everything up. I'm just kidding. But every person we brush up against is a child of God. Every person. The people in your home that we take for granted and tend to lash out at most. A child of God. Our children. The children we bump into. the, The drivers on the road around us. The people in the store. Everywhere we go. Every person we brush up against is a child of God. And every one of those brushes is a burning bush. Here's you know what I mean. In, in, in just as there's a story. I'm sorry, Exodus. There's a story of a man named Moses, right? And, and he encounters God in a strange way. And Moses was all kinds of a mess. Like his mom put him in a basket and sent him down the river. And then is um, and then the the, the queen, like adopted him and then but he wasn't he was kind of this half-breed and he saw what was happening to his family and he became a murderer and ran off 40 years later he's a shepherd in the desert in, in the Middle East right and he's he's out there taking care of sheep and out what tended to happen was these little would catch fire be consumed and burn up in a, in a few seconds and he's out one day and this one bush catches fire which isn't surprising but it doesn't burn up. It just keeps burning. So like any dude would do, he's like, well, I need to figure this out. Let's go play with fire. And so he goes over to the fire. (laughs) The the one with all the boys is laughing. I love it. I love it. Um, So he he goes over to the fire and, and a voice begins to speak to him. The voice of God not like, I can't believe what you did, Moses. I know. You don't think anybody knows, but I know. No. it's like, I've got something for you. I've got, I've got something for you to do, something I've prepared for you. You belong to me, and I need you. It's time. Time to step out of all of that failure, all of that hiding, all of that running. I've got something for you. He's like, I'm not good enough. And That's the one time God got angry. When, when, when Moses tells God, I'm not good enough to do what you ask. He says that he got angry. Moses was like, okay, we'll do it. It was this moment when God was revealing himself to Moses. And what we realize as nudgers is that every time we brush up against someone, it's a burning bush moment. There is a bush burning somewhere around us in this person's life. God is already talking to them. He's already working. He's always doing something. Our job is to just help see it and help each other to see it. The other thing that we know, nudgers know first every every person we brush up against the child of God, every brush is a burning bush, and that every best is blessed. Every best is blessed. Here's what I mean. The best things in any person is a blessing from God and deserves to be celebrated and encouraged. No matter how much that person drives you crazy, no matter how many other ways they fail or how many things you think they get wrong, the things that they do well deserve to be celebrated and encouraged and pointed at and say, man, God has made you in this amazing way. I can't believe how well you do that. Like, I could never do that. Man, that might make me think about God a little more than, look at all the ways you screwed up. When are you going to get your act together? We look. Nudgers look. They look for the unique beauty and best in everyone. They're looking to point it out. Wow, you're so good at that. I, 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 you worship so freely. You're so kind. You're so patient. I can't, I can't believe that. You're so good with numbers. You build things. You, Your ability with music. Like I always feel bad when these days like this where the music's a little softer because like, the people on stage might hear me and that's terrifying. But like, that's not me. It's so amazing. Scott was up here almost every night this week, sometimes well past 10 o'clock, installing the sound system. And these guys back here, brand new system, trying to figure it out, and, and are doing an amazing job, right? And we don't sometimes celebrate the things done right. We only look back there at that little room when something goes wrong, right? But they did an amazing job. Would you thank them for me? That. It, it's remarkable. Like I intentionally said, I don't want to know how this board works. That way I can't be asked to do anything with it. But like, we, we need to be able to point out the best as a blessing. God has made you in a wonderful way. I can't believe that. Then when you think about the worst, every worst is an opportunity for grace. Every worst moment, every worst failure, every bad day is a moment to offer someone grace. Because God is working to redeem them all. My worst failures, the things that I did, the worst, the things that have happened to me, they are the best tools I have for ministry. They are the best things I have to help someone else. God is in the work of redeeming. But if all we're in the work of doing is condemning, we get in the way of what God's doing instead of nudging people toward Him. We can offer grace, we can offer forgiveness, we can help people see wow, even in this, God is working. God is doing something and I know it's been hard and I know you've been through some stuff and I know you feel like you failed and I know you feel like you should be this but listen, God is at work and he'll use all of that, all of it and he'll do something remarkable because he's at work in you and he has something for you to do. The last thing nudgers know is that everyone needs a nudge. Every person you meet, Every person you talk to needs a nudge. We are all hungry for encouragement, affirmation, belief, hope. We're all looking for it. We all are struggling at times to see Jesus in our mess. In our failures, in our disappointments, in our situation, we just need each other to help. Like, Hydra is like this bumper car alley, except we're all moving in a direction toward Jesus, just bumping into one another and helping each other get there. Like, just a little nudge. Like No, we don't knock each other down, hopefully. I mean, sometimes we crash into each other, and that's when forgiveness is needed. But it's about just kind of nudging, just a little bump in the right direction. Hey, do you, do you see Jesus? I think, he's, I think he's doing something here. Somebody will tell you, man, I can't believe how God worked in that. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I think he was doing this. Like, oh. Here's how it works it's really easy. First, you just show up. And this is where we're wrapping up. Just show up. Just show up with the people around you. Like, actually be present, not rushing on to the next thing. I, uh, I had to sell and get rid of my, my Apple Watch, the whole smartwatch thing, because it was too much of a distraction. It got in the way of me being present to people. Like, I was up here preaching one time, and somebody texted me, and that, like, distracted me. I was teaching at a Fuse, our leadership school, and, and, like, it was like something happening on there, and it just was a distraction. I couldn't be present. Every time I would be in a conversation at lunch or meeting or something, that thing's going off, even if I don't have my phone on me. So did, like, and I'm not saying it's wrong for anybody else. You can manage it and deal with it and ignore it, whatever. For me, I couldn't. And I needed to set it aside and, like, learn to leave my phone in the car when I go in somewhere or leave it upstairs or whatever. Like, I don't need it all the time because the people I'm with need me, and I need them. And one of the best things we can do is just show up. You know, the truth is, in that text I told you about earlier from the guy who started the house church, that's really all we did. Like in their worst moment, they showed up here and we showed up for them and prayed with them and worshiped with them and encouraged them. When he was, when he was being written off and used and, and lied to and betrayed, I just sat with him. And we had lunch and we'd breakfast and we'd talk every week and I just showed up. Like I didn't do anything special. I just showed up. So the first thing you do is show up, but you got to slow down. You can't love people quickly. You can't love people quickly. You have to slow down. Be still. Some of us are doing way too much. We got way too much on the schedule, way too much. It's just too busy. We got to slow down and be present. Here's the hardest one, not just for Christians, but like for everybody. Stop talking. Stop talking. Like nobody needs you to fix them. Or fix their problem. Like, you can't. Jesus is the only one who does any of that. So we just stop talking. Stop answers, advice, until it's been solicited. And I kind of go by this rule. You've like, you got to ask me two or three times before I give you advice. Because you probably don't really want it. And I'm just going to get aggravated if you ask me for it and I give it and you don't do it, I suggest. So I just don't. It works better. I let somebody keep talking long enough. I just listen. That's the next thing. Stop talking. Listen. If I listen long enough, they tend to solve it themselves. They tend to come to the same advice I would have given them anyway. Because God's already talking to them. Like, I don't have to bring God into the conversation. He's already there. Most of us know what God wants us to do. We just don't have the guts to do it. And we need somebody to say, hey, I think God's asking you to do that. Can I help you? So we just listen and we watch. Watch for burning bushes. Watch for where God is showing up, for what God is saying, what Jesus is doing, right? Because a lot of times we go through the whole day walking with him and we just don't realize it's him. Sometimes we don't ask. Sometimes we just don't notice. Sometimes God is funny and annoying because he wants to show up by acting like he's not there. You think, I'm kidding. That's the whole, he did it all day. He could have told those two disciples who he was way at the beginning of the day, and he didn't. And sometimes he walks with us, and he's hiding. I don't know why, until we get to them, we realize, ah, oh, he was with us. He was teaching me. He was doing something all that time, and I just didn't see it. And then we just point. Hey, do you see that? I think that was Jesus. Did you see that burning bush? I wonder. That's weird. Let's go look at that. Like what, what, you know, I think God was with you there. Like I think God was doing something. It's, it's really much easier than like going up to a stranger and saying, where are you going to spend eternity? Let's talk about that. Man, imagine if your life, in your whole life, you just like one person a year was significantly nudged toward Jesus just one person in your life each year man. wouldn't that be worth it wouldn't that be a life worth living man so just start small you just point hey I think that's Jesus you know when I was going through that this is what 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 helped me God did this this is where I saw him this is what really made a difference but then you sometimes you have to do what counselors do right if they don't if people don't understand when you tell them you have to show them So you show them God's love by loving on someone else in front of them. Do you see what that was like? But see, sometimes they still don't get it. So then you have to love them. You have to do it to them. It's kind of a positive version of what you do with a kid who's biting. And now I get it. If you have toddlers, you're probably going to hate me for doing this. I'm old school. We did this. But you can tell a kid to stop biting someone, and they're not going to stop. If they don't understand after you tell them, then you take them to the little child they just bit and show them the tears. Do you see how much this hurts? Show them. If they still don't get it, you do it to them. You bite that little finger. Not off, not hard, not till it bleeds, but enough that they get it. Oh, this hurts. I probably shouldn't do this. Right? It's just kind of the opposite. You show them love. Like, You show them kindness. You tell them, and then you show them, and then you do it to them. Sometimes it's not the Emmaus road. Sometimes it's the Jericho road. Jericho road is where the Samaritan, the guy who should never have helped the guy on the side of the road, decided to help the person that he should have hated. Should have been angry. at, should have known nothing to do with. And loved and served sacrificially. And sometimes a nudge looks like it has no results because a lot of times it won't lead to a conversion. But it'll lead to a conversation, it may lead to a confession, it may lead to a con- uh, to a connection. It'll lead to a relationship. And in the time that we stopped worrying about being right, stopped winning arguments, and started winning relationships. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who have nudged me in the right direction all my life. I've needed so much nudging. Thank you for the times that you chose to knock me down and those who didn't when I deserved it. Would you help us to be a place where we are nudged toward you? Where we nudge the world toward you, our community, our homes that look more like your kingdom because of the way we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it was an honor to worship with you on this holiday weekend. If you're new, I'd love a chance to get to meet you. Be sure to stop by the Connect Bar on your way out. There are homemade cookies waiting for you on the way out. Have a great Sunday afternoon. It really was an honor to be with you this morning. Nudge someone today.